0: Welcome to Park City Church, you're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus, and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks and pure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. We're just going to jump right in. I wanna, I'm going to start at the end today and make, make a couple of reflections. Uh, wh- where the passage ends that uh, Tyler has read for us, verse 8, so there was great joy in that city. And if, if I were going to give to you sort of a summary statement, I am actually going to give it to you. I think I have it here on the screen. This is a summary, just my, my attempt at a main idea for the morning that we're going to sit with for just a moment. The gospel, the good news, brings joy to the city as ordinary believers full of the Holy Spirit, bear witness to Jesus in word and deed and what they say and what they do. We're just going to consider, we can leave it up there for a moment, this sort of summary in its constituent parts here, the, the gospel, right, specifically the good news of Jesus. In our reading this morning in verse 5, that good news is identified as the the, the coming of the Messiah. A couple of verses later, we didn't read it. We'll consider it here in a moment. This is how uh, the author puts it. The good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. The gospel. What Jesus has done, his life, death, and resurrection, the one whom God has designated as as the one who will uh, work life, the forgiveness of sins, who will put things right, the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news brings joy. It brings joy in our reading here. Joy, we, we see it in a number of descriptions. If we take this sort of joy along with that, uh, what does that joy look like? Well, in, in the context of our passage, there's both spiritual and physical implications in that city. People are set free from all sorts of, of, of things. The paralyzed, the lame are being healed. Those who are suffering under impure spirits are, are being set free. There's a kind of comprehensive freedom, a joy that that benefits uh, that, that, that works as a result of the good news of Jesus that is at work in the lives of the city, right? That it brings joy, the good news brings joy, this sort of comprehensive wholeness to the city, to, to that city, a specific city, we're told, a Samaritan city. And this is deeply significant. Not least of all, because uh, the designation Samaritan City pulls us into, to, uh, into a very long, troubled, and storied history of uh, ethnic and religious conflict. These were two groups of people, the Jews and the Samaritans, that had uh, centuries of animosity. I was reminded recently that I hadn't made a Bluey reference in a while. Lisa's not even here to enjoy it. She's at home taking care of a new baby. Priorities, I guess. I don't know. But... Uh, Bluey. So I, I was watching Bluey with my children recently, and uh, there's an episode where the stakes, this is the story about the Australian blue healer family of dogs, right? Uh, uh, Bluey and her sister Bingo. Uh, and, the, and the stakes are very low. It's a cartoon for children, but they—they were talking about sort of conflict and enemies, and they're kind of spying. There's workers in the yard, sort of putting in a fountain, and there's—you know—they're perceiving tension and conflict, and everywhere it's like enemies. These are our enemies, enemies. And at some point in the story, Bluey's like, "Man, these enemies are very confusing," and and you—you you get the sense that maintaining the lines for this kind of hostility, when the stakes are much higher, still also very confusing. It was true for Jews and Samaritans. Tension and conflict around sort of ethnic uh, conversations when the Assyrians had come to the northern kingdom and, and then religious ones as well worshiping in different places. All these sorts of things and for those reasons they at best sort of held each other at arm's length and at worst there was actual violence and hostility. Enemies are very confusing and yet we're told that the good news of Jesus when it came to that city it brought joy Uh, We didn't read it, but just a verse or two later. So there's this incredible moment that Tyler read for us. Philip comes and he's preaching. There's joy. People are believing and being baptized into the community of Christ followers. They're following Jesus. Well, the, the, the apostles in Jerusalem hear what's going on. And, and uh, so they come to, to, to see and, and uh, uh, be a part of what's going on. And this is what we read. When the apostles read, when the apostles in Jerusalem in verse 14 heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for these new believers that they, that, that, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not come on any of them, and they had simply been baptized. In the name of Jesus, Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. If you'll allow me one further indulgence, later on in that episode of Bluey, one of the characters says, do you think enemies can ever become friends? I mean, the answer is no, right? On our own, no. That is not our default position. That would not have happened in this instance of Scripture either. And yet, something about the good news of Jesus has now brought together these uh, groups of people that for all kinds of reasons had, had, had developed into enemies. It's significant what Peter and John do here. Right at the beginning of Acts, Jesus had told his disciples, pray, wait, the Holy Spirit will come. And, and, and uh, the good news, the gospel, he said it'll start in Jerusalem and it'll, sp- it'll grow, it'll spill over. And he names Samaria as this sort of far-reaching implications of God's goodness in Jesus. He names it. And now here in this moment, it's a moment so significant for this people who had been hostile enemies, held safely apart again at best or, you know, uh, hostile enemies at, at worst, just to make sure that we get the point of what's happening here this dramatic scene. We're told that they are filled with the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that earlier in Acts we had read, the disciples in Jerusalem waiting, Jews in Jerusalem waiting. God fills them with the Spirit, identifies them as his people. Lest we want to maintain lines of distinction or keep some separation, to sort of drive home the point where we're pulled into this moment of the story where the very same Spirit fills these Samaritans in that city, there's no denying they are in the community of God's people because of Jesus, because of Jesus. The gospel brings joy to the city, brings, brings joy to, to that city. But, but again, one other observation from our sort of summary statement here, through ordinary believers, there's that little phrase in the first verse, Everyone was scattered. The church was scattered from Jerusalem, except all, except the apostles, were scattered. These weren't the leaders of the church. These weren't the founders. These weren't the the sort of initial eyewitnesses to the work of Jesus. These weren't the sort of inner circle. These were everyday, ordinary people caught up in the story of Jesus, now scattered abroad and taking the message of, of, of great joy into all their various spheres places all the places they would land even Philip in this passage Philip is named he seems extraordinary but Philip was just he's named a chapter or two earlier he's just he wasn't one of the apostles he's a he's a guy that like maybe you can help us take care of the widows and so they make him a leader in that sense sort of taking care of the needs of the community but he's not you know one of the 12 here taking the message of Jesus the gospel bringing joy to the city through ordinary believers like you and me. Ordinary believers. I I saw a headline recently. I was reading an article. He was reflecting on uh, just all the headlines uh, in sort of recent church scandals. And, uh, you know, it's like the headline, the article title was something like, No one's making documentaries about ordinary churches he goes on to sort of develop that thought, which is, is true, right? No one's, no, no, it, you get the sense that's what's happening here. We don't get the names of all the people and all the places they land, but we're told that everyone except the apostles, driven from Jerusalem, and wherever they land, they're bringing sort of the good news of Jesus Christ into whatever sphere they're in, whatever sphere you're in, and it's, it's bringing life and joy, joy, ordinary believers, the Holy Spirit at work in them, bearing witness to Jesus. The church is growing. It's bringing joy. This is, I think, a summary of what our passage says this morning. I should stop, but I'm going to keep going, <laughs> but because uh, because it's true, and a pattern worth emulating. Certainly, something I ache and pray for for our church for churches in our city and our community for Michael and his community as he returns for others certainly this is what we want God you and your sphere and neighborhood and family and 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 vocation and all the places you just sort of do ordinary life that that in those places you and I would bear witness to Jesus joy would would flow and people would be drawn into the story yes I I want to be a part of a beautiful story like that but that bit of the story isn't what holds my attention this, this morning. It might change tomorrow morning, but this morning. Th- this morning, it's, it's the context in which all of this happens that has sort of captured my imagination, for lack of a better word. We, the, the first thing I think we noticed the context out of, all of, out of which this happens is grief, grieving. We, we didn't read it. We talked about it at the park this week, but in the chapter just prior, Stephen Another sort of just, he's not an apostle. They're like, this guy maybe can help take care of the people in our community in need. He's identified. He's serving. He's challenged. He stands up and gives a, an explanation of, well, this is Jesus, no doubt in an intense moment, and he's stoned. He's stoned. Stephen is martyred, the first Christian martyr. It, it, it would become a theme in the lives of Christians centuries later throughout the centuries. N- not always, not always a, 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 a place we go, oftentimes responding inappropriately in violence, but but at its truest and most beautiful sort of singing of this melody, it's a, a theme we will hear. Again, Stephen is martyred. You have to wonder, right? As people are hearing or watching, they like, what is going on? What? Jail, I get, you know, you put Peter in jail, you put John in jail, that's fine. What the states are significantly higher here. I don't know, maybe still ringing in their ears or reverberating through their hearts was the example of Jesus as he went to the cross. I, uh, I'll ask for one other indulgence. I think this is the only one, and I'll sit with this one for the rest of, of our time together this morning. There's a Florence and the Machine song uh it's fairly recent I, I won't call it new I don't know uh it's good for on a run right um called free she sings about like her sort of relationship to anxiety and it's sort of ever present sort of personification in her life and uh it's an interesting listen but the bridge of the song has caught my attention she says this again you know noting the context of what she's singing about is this how it is is this how it's always been to exist in the face of suffering and death and somehow still keep singing Oh, like Christ upon a cross who died for us, who died for what? Oh, don't you want to call it off? I I wonder, is there watching Stephen martyred? Like Christ upon a cross who died for us, who died for what? Don't don't you want to call it off? What, What is this about? But not just Stephen a martyr. Then we're told that following that, again, the context of this beautiful image and truth that a great persecution broke out against the church. They were all scattered, driven from their homes and communities. I wonder, like Christ upon a cross who died for us, who died for what? Don't you want to call it off? What is this about, the grief of this moment perhaps weighing on them? And then in the passage we read, the grief is made explicit. We're told that devout men in the community went and gathered Stephen's body, whatever its condition following that kind of execution, and buried him. Buried him, mourned him, grieved his loss. I hear in this moment, perhaps the words of Jesus, those who mourn, he says, I wonder if in the grief of that moment, was there ever a thread of Christ on a cross who died for us, who died for what? Don't you want to call it off? But if that weren't enough, in in the midst of that grief, in our reading this morning, we're introduced to Saul. His name will later be changed to Paul. We will pick up his story. uh, We'll start it next week and then take a break and then continue his story later. But Saul is present in this passage in a meaningful way. First, we're told that he was present at the execution. We didn't read it, but the first half of verse 1, it tells us he was there when Stephen was martyred. But then in verse 3, right, so he's he's present in a meaningful way. He's the one holding their cloaks so that they are freer to hurl stones more easily at Stephen. But he's present in this moment in a meaningful way. And by meaningful, I mean this description in verse 3. He began to destroy the church. It's a stark description after all these beautiful moments of the church growing and community and taking care of one another. He began to destroy the church, going from house to house, dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Don't you want to call it off? Against this backdrop of grief, we hear the news from Samaria. There was great joy in that city. An announcement of joy that has accompanied Jesus from the beginning. Joy to the world. An announcement of joy shines as this like spark of light in the midst of all of this grief, but not just grief. It's not just the context that comes before that messes with me a little bit this morning. It's the context that follows. We didn't read it but after the grieving, uh, we read this beautiful description. But then we get this weird episode with a guy named Simon, the magician, the sorcerer. And, and we go from grieving, we'll, we'll use the word grifting, right, sort of petty swindling. Okay, we have this beautiful moment of the church growing, and immediately we're dragged into the mire of, like, this weird episode. Let me, let me read it to you in verse 9. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had been practicing sorcery in the city, and he uh, amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great and all the people both high and low gave him their attention and exclaimed this man is rightly called the great power of God they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with a sorcery but but when they believed Philip talking about Jesus remember as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus they were baptized both men and women Simon himself believed and was baptized Astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. Beautiful. Beautiful. Right? This incredible moment. Simon the sorcerer caught up in the story of Jesus. All is good. Right? Ah, well, this is what we read just a few verses later in verse 18. As the disciples, Peter and John, pray for the Holy Spirit. When the Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, He offered them money. He said, give me this, also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive. Spirit. It reads to me like a, I don't know, like a satirical news show or maybe a real news show. They give you the story and there's like a hard cut to the left. This week in Christian hypocrisy, right? That's what it feels like, You're like, We're immediately drawn into this crazy story about a guy named Simon the Magician. We just had this beautiful sort of expression of community out of grief. God, the joy of God spreading out of the brokenness of grief and, and we're immediately drug into the mud of, oh man, Jesus for hire. Grifting. Again, Nobody writes documentaries about ordinary churches but the grifters, whoo, right? You don't have to think long and hard. Perhaps you've bumped into it yourself. Like so many stories about the church, not just today but throughout history, it can leave us with an air of despair. Maybe it's just all a grift. Folks just after money. Hearts bent on swindling, petty swindling. It feels familiar and we're left with the feeling, ah, don't you just want to call it? off. I mean, if this is the story, why bother? Many have asked and continue to ask, and maybe you are one, this very same question, burnt by the brokenness, dirtiness of humanity even in the church. And yet, and yet, in the midst of it, we're told in verse 8, there was great joy in the city. There was great joy. Peter's response to Simon is telling, and I think where we will land this morning. From grieving to grifting, we'll use the word confessing. Peter said to him, May Simon, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Verse 21, you have neither part, I believe this is on the screen, you have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of the wickedness of yours, this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of of iniquity, the reads like a church word, and the goal of bitterness, all right. what's, what's the move here, what's the, what's the move, it's a confession of, of Simon's ordinariness, like all the other ordinary folks at the beginning, we're, we're all ordinary, particularly in our sinfulness, all of our hearts are crooked, and bent, perhaps under the weight of grief or under the, the, the pull of our own desire to grift. And we're invited into a moment of recognition and confession, realization that Jesus is uninterested in all of our efforts to distinguish ourselves, even as Simon was attempting here. He showed mercy to the unrighteous, which is namely Everyone. <laughs> As one author puts it to him, our identities aren't tied to whatever unique skill or hobby or ability or style or vocation or accomplishment we bring. He graciously refuses to let us craft our own identities, and he sees right through our attempts to distinguish ourselves from one another because we're ordinary. All of our hearts are crooked. In in, in this crazy, beautiful moment in the growth of the church, as it does what Jesus said, it would leave Jerusalem and go to Samaria. It is marred in this moment by that truth. Our hearts are crooked. The intents of our heart are bent under the weight of grief or the pull of grift. We are sinners. I, I read this passage. I'll be honest with you. And I'm like, maybe there's a formula here for church growth, right? As a pastor, as a part of this community with and alongside you, God, give us this. We want to be like this. (laughs) Maybe there's a formula here for church growth. The gospel brings joy to a city. Yes, let it be so through ordinary believers like you and me. Yes, fill us with your spirit so that we can bear witness to Jesus. Yes, yes, yes. Then I hear, Bluey, these enemies are very confusing. (laughs) And I remember what Paul tells me, Saul, later Paul, that we were enemies. We were enemies. Our hearts are crooked. I remember, I wait, I remember we were enemies. While we were enemies, God reconciled us through the death of his son. Maybe it's a formula for church growth, but I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's what the gospel has always been and what it is to you, a word of hope and joy in the God who, who redeems and his Messiah, Jesus, who changes hearts, who in the midst of all of the grief that you carry and all the grift that your heart feels prone toward, remarkably through all of that grieving and grifting, he still Still, through ordinary sinners with crooked hearts brings joy. The gospel. Oh, like Christ upon a cross who died for us. Who died for what? Don't you want to call it off? Well, in fact, no. No, I, I don't think so. Instead, I will say, as Stephen will later say, Father, forgive them. Instead, we read in verse 25, after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, despite all the grieving and grifting, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the good news in many Samaritan villages along the way. I invite your guests to stand. Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, Visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at parkcitykc